Please be seated. Does everyone have an outline for tonight's study? If you don't, please raise your hand and Don Hollins will pass one to you. It looks like we scored 100% on the test tonight. Except for Jeff down here at the front. <laughs> Open your Bibles up to Joshua chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at the text that David uh, read for us. And before we press our minds into this text, let's ask God to bless us. Uh, Father, we, we approach this text knowing uh, the, the weight of the events that they describe. And, and how awesome it must have been to be there on that day when the people saw the River Jordan opened up and were able to pass through from the east side to the west side to enter that promised land from, from the desert, Father, and, and, and to see that miracle in such a way that it moved them closer to you in their faith. But we also recognize, Father, and as we, we read in Scripture, that faith uh, can be a very capricious thing in a human being. And it's our prayer, Father, that, that we never take lightly the Scripture nor our faith nor the great ways that you have intervened in history through the past and even to this present day. And the way that you work in your creation, Father, we never take any of these things for granted, be lackadaisical with it or flippant with it, Father, but to, but to approach it with a, with a proper reverence and humility and modesty before you. For you are great, and we are not. You are majestic, and we are lowly. You are merciful, and we are in dire need of that compassion and mercy and grace, Father. And as undeserving as we are, are you have made it so in Christ. And so we pray, Father, and endeavor each and every day as we confront this culture around us and the culture that is inside of us, that as we, we seek not to bow down to the idols around us in this culture or to eradicate the idols that are in our heart, we, we pray, Father, for the eyes that see and the ears that hear this text in such a way that we become more profound disciples in your kingdom. We pray all of this, Father, with, with faith and with all of our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. It used to be that I could remember things uh, that, that happened, uh, you know, not too long ago. I could remember them like the back of my hand. I, the, the older I get, and this is, this is common, I think, with everybody, the older you get, uh, you, you know, you can remember things that happened a long time ago. In my own particular case, if it happened you know, 3,500 years ago, I can remember it like the back of my hand. But if you were to ask me what it was I was supposed to pick up 10 minutes ago from the store, I could probably give you a pretty good guess, and they would all be wrong. We have, uh, we have a tendency to forget things. And what's problematic about that and what can be serious at times is that we really forget some very important things from time to time. There's a story that's told of, about a hunter who had a really exceptional dog that he would go uh, hunting with. And one time he was out on a hunt with lots of different individuals, and they were dove hunting, and this dog was just performing in superlative ways, and everybody was impressed with this dog. This dog just seemed to have its owner's mind, and the owner never had to speak. The dog was just able to, to react to, to the man's movement. And this, this one guy went up, to the, went up to the hunter, and he said, uh, man, it sure is a fine dog you have. 
And the hunter said, yeah, I really like him a lot. I've had him for a long time. And uh, the dog came running over, and he asked the hunter, he said, what's that dog's name? And uh, the hunter went. And he, and he said to this guy, he said, what is, what is the name of that pretty red flower that has the thorns on it? And he goes, a rose? He goes, yeah, that's it. And he turns to his wife and says, Rose, what is the name of that dog? <laughs> if you are here on the last Sunday morning of every year, you have experienced what we call our Look Back Sunday. And there's a reason that we do that every year. It's the very last Sunday morning of the year. It's called the Look Back uh, Sunday. And what we do is we fill the stage. We take most of the stuff down, and we fill this stage with the icons and the posters and, and the different things that, that, that uh, symbolize the different ministries that we have been involved in through, through the year. And there are things from our youth group and, and from our children's ministry. There are things from the adult ministries, from Holiday Harvest, things that we have preached over. There are things that we have done in the community. There are uh, vacation Bible school. You name it, if there's an icon, if there's something three-dimensional and uh, uh, tangible and physical that, that we can put up here on this stage, you've seen the stage, and the stage is full of stuff. And what we do is we, we talk about all of the things that God has accomplished through us during the, 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 the preceding 12 months. And another thing that we do, right before we, you know, I get up and talk about the year, one of the things we do, we do this, we've been doing this every year for 12 years now. And that is we sing the song, uh, The Greatest Commands, which is about loving one another and the, uh, the, the, the fellowship of the church being about the, the, a special kind of love that we have for each other. And up here on the screen is a song that we know by heart. And so while we're singing this song by heart, one of the things that we do, we flash the names and the date of all of the babies that were born this year that became part of our church family. And then we flash the names of all of the families that placed membership during that calendar year, all of the names in the month that they placed membership. And then after that, all of the people that were born again and the date that they were baptized into Christ and became a member of this particular church body. And then towards the end of that list, we list all of the names of the people that passed away and have gone on to be with the Lord. And the reason that we do it, all of this, is so that we remember because it's so easy to forget. I mean, that's the reason why we build monuments, right? You go to the great cities in the United States, our, our city being one of them. There are monuments all over the place. There, there are statues. There are monuments. There are signs. There are plaques. There are historic markers that dot the countryside to commemorate the great things that happened in that particular spot that we should never, ever, ever forget. One of the reasons that we wear a wedding ring is to remind us that we're married. Now, we, we kind of laugh at that and chuckle at it, but it's a, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that there are lots of times that men forget that they're married or women forget that they're married until they look down and they are reminded of that fact because they see the ring on their finger. One of the greatest spiritual liabilities that we have as human beings is that we forget. We forget. We have, forget, we have the disease of forgetfulness. And that's one of the reasons why these boulders are stacked up in Gilgal in verse 20. And then in verse 21, Joshua says, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. 
He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What I want to do tonight is, is you know, again, you've gone over the story in Bible class. I want to go over some of the principles that we learned from this, this event in the history of the Jewish people in Joshua chapter 4. There are three principles I want us to look at tonight. The first one is this. We should never, ever, ever, ever forget our history with God. All of us have had significant days with the Lord. And hopefully we have written them down somewhere to remember because usually what happens is that we enter into a time of struggle. There's a time of turmoil. We're really struggling with our faith. The fight gets kind of intense for our faith to remain intact. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we go to our church and our friends and we ask them to pray and to pray and to pray and they do. And there by some great experience we, we become inspired by the way that God has moved in our life. There's a door that has opened or a door that has closed, or there's some blessing that comes to us that's unexpected. And it's all because of the way that God has intersected and intervened in our lives. And we're inspired by it. And we decide to change. You know, God, I will never, ever forget or ever doubt your presence. I, from this day forward, am going to live in this kind of a way. We make these kinds of inspired changes and, and sort of dedicate our lives to living that way for the rest of our lives. But what soon happens is we forget. We go a couple of weeks, and all of that turmoil, and all of that angst, and all of that anxiety that we're feel, we were feeling because of the stress of the circumstances begins to wane because it's been taken care of. The door's been opened, or the door's been closed, but the blessing has come. And we soon forget, and then the next thing you know is we find ourselves back in the old same habits. The same old, same old. Friends, we should always remember the things that affect our lives for the rest of our lives. We should always remember the things that affect our lives for the rest of our lives. You know what I find to be true in most people's lives is that we can remember our first car. But we don't remember our first Bible. We remember our first date. But we do not remember our first answered prayer. We even remember our first paycheck. We may even have someplace in our house the very first dollar that we ever made, but we do not remember the first opportunity that we had to give back to the Lord. And the God who made us and the God who is sovereign over creation and over our lives knows that we tend to forget. And so He has reminded us that we need to remember, and He's given us ways to do that. In this particular story, there is a physical reminder that said what happened on that day, the day in which we crossed over the Jordan, that what happened when God dried up those waters in, in that land in order for us to cross, it was as relevant in the present and the future as it was on the day that it happened. You get all the way to Micah chapter 6 and verse 5, and you've gone many, many centuries down the road, and what is it that Micah is telling the people? You need to remember what happened on the east side of that river and the west side of that river, the trip from uh, Shittim to Gilgal and all of the righteous things that God has done for you. On the day that the people crossed the Jordan, they went from being a people of the wilderness and a people of the desert and a people of, of wanderings to a people that had gone in to possess a land that had been promised to them for certain centuries. And it was an incredibly significant day in their, in their, their, their psychological makeup. 
and in their spiritual understanding of God and His faithfulness to them. And, and in that verse we looked at this morning, that particular event was told throughout the ages, throughout the years that they lived in the land, that there was a day in which God opened up the gateway to this land in only a way that God could do it, and it was opened up so that a mobile nation of more than a million people could enter into the land that God had promised to them, to their forefathers, centuries before that. And the B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel were told, you, know, you take a man, you choose a man from each of the tribes, and you go and you pick up an, uh, an evan, uh, the Hebrew word for stone. And because, we're, you know, it can mean stone or it can mean boulder, but because they're to put it on their shoulder, I think these are big rocks. And Joshua says, you choose a man from each of the tribes. He goes into where the, the, the priests were standing with that ark of God where the waters divided. And you pick up a stone and you carry it to Gilgal. And, you know, one of the amazing things about these stones is that they've probably been in the water for centuries and centuries and centuries. And if you've ever been out to the Guadalupe or the Medina River or any of the, the rivers that we have here in Texas, one of the things that you notice is that the stones that you find in the middle of that river are different from the stones that you find in your backyard. These stones have been worn smooth through years and years and years of water flowing over them. They're smooth and polished and different from most of the stones that you find anywhere else on dry ground. They do not have that rougher, sharper edge that was common to those stones that were found in Gilgal. And so you pile those 12 big polished stones up in the middle of a place where the rocks are sharp and they stand out, right? And when people would walk by and notice that these stones are different, these stones are different from any of the other stones that you're going to find in that area. What are they going to do? They're going, how in the world did they get there? How in the world did these stones get there? And the answer was to be these stones commemorate the day in which the Lord God Almighty opened up the river Jordan and we were able to pass into the promised land on dry ground. It was the day in which the Jordan had stopped flowing and the people crossed over into the land. And that story would be told over and over and over again, generation after generation after generation and generation. And that was just one example of the ways of a way that God set up a way for the people to remember. There were other examples. Look at this one from Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 16. Very easy verse to remember. But this talks about the three times during the year that the men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Later on it became Jerusalem and the people would make pilgrimages to, to Jerusalem during the year, to the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Tabernacles. And they were to go to Jerusalem, and they were to, to celebrate those festivals or those feasts, and the stories would be told, and they would be reminded of the great things that those feasts represented. You know, every Sunday we do the same thing here when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And when we take the, the cup and we take the bread, they symbolize something incredibly important to us. We are reminded that the cross is not just doctrine. It's not just philosophy. It's not just... It's a true story, for goodness sake. It's, it's a true story, and we're reminded that humans are sinful and that it took a mighty act of God on the cross to bring us out of the bondage to sin that we were never able to break out of ourselves. That there had to be the blood of a God spilled for us to find that liberation. And at the same time, we're reminded that we're loved. 
that we're not just cast to the side because of our sinfulness, but that God through love and His righteousness and His holiness are, is doing what was necessary in order for us to find relationship with Him again. And we're reminded that we're adopted, that we bear His name. We're reminded that we're a part of a kingdom. And we're reminded that we're a part of a family. And we're reminded every time we take of that juice and of that bread that we live differently from the people that are around us. Friends, we should never forget our history with God. Our history with God should be every bit as personal and, and, and intimate in, in our knowledge of it as it is with our spouses or with our children or with our friends. It should be a part of the way that we think about ourselves and think about this life and this creation, this world, and the culture that we live in and how it all comes together in our own personal individual experience every day. That we don't experience this culture without a history that involves God. And then number two, we need intentional reminders of God's eternal truths. Who tells you who you are? Who tells you who you are? Who, who is it that defines you? Well, there are lots of people that would really like to have that job to, uh, of telling you and defining who you really are, not only in the eyes of the world, but in your own eyes. Hollywood and the entertainment industry wants you to think of yourself as a sexual being, that your greatest asset is your body, and that you need to make sure that, that you are taking the proper care of it and putting it on the pedestal that, that, uh, that it should be on because it's your most important commodity. And then there's secular academia that is telling you that, that you know the most important commodity that you might have is knowledge, because knowledge is power. And it's not who you are, but it's what you know. And then there's the old Madison Avenue that's telling you that you're a producer and that you're a consumer. And that when you put the two together, it makes you a coveter, and that why you exist is to consume. And then there's humanism that says, you know what, you're a complex mass of cells that somehow have evolved from the primordial sludge, and that's who you really are. And when you die, you're going to go back to dust, and there's really nothing above you or below you. There's just you and what you make of this life. And in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, the people of Israel are going into a land that is, is as polluted with lies about human beings as we are in this culture today. They are going in and they are encountering people who are living in cities that are more sophisticated than they've ever seen. Those that, 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 uh, that, that uh, well, there were none that remembered what Egypt was like. They had all died in the, in, in the desert. And they had been in the desert wandering around and they, they're coming into contact with these cities and these cultures that are sophisticated. And on top of that, there's a Canaanite pantheon of, of, of gods. And a way of explaining the world and defining who human beings are and what the world is supposed to be about and how it came into being. And they are intersecting that. And these stones, these 12 smooth boulders that these men carried out of the River Jordan into Gilgal were the first reminder to the B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, who they really belonged to and who they really were. And they began, and they be, uh, those stones became the starting point to help them remember how they got into the land for the very first time. Now, we all need this. I mean, I need it. When the times get rough and faith begins to wane and faith becomes this intense fight, I can remember one time when 
Uh, we were, Ellen and I were trying to, to raise the funds that we needed to go to Africa. We were college students. We had just, we had been married a very short time. Money was tight and tight. We were paying for our schooling ourselves. And we needed to, to raise, you know, thousands of dollars to be able to, to spend the summer in the southern cone of Africa to determine with another couple that was going with us where we wanted to, to dedicate our lives to mission work in either Zimbabwe or South Africa. And I had exhausted every resource I knew. Every resource I knew. I had gone to every church that I had a contact with. I contacted every person that I thought had two pennies to rub together. And I had, I had asked and I had pleaded and I had prayed. And, and uh, I, I needed the last $218.79. And, and, and I mean, we had it down to the penny. How much we needed to be able to make it through the summer. And I was getting down. I was going, you know what? I, this $200 is $200 back then was like $2,000 today, right? I, how am I going to do this? How are we going to go? We're going to get over there, and we're not going to be able to eat for the last two weeks. And you know me, I like to eat. I don't know if we can make this trip. And I begin to get down and down and down. I'm here, Lord, I'm trying to do your will and, and praying and praying. And, and then one day, I go to the mailbox, and there's a letter from a friend of mine that had left school. He was a year ahead of me. He had left school. He was preaching in San Francisco, California. And I opened it up, and there was a check in there for $220. And a note that said, I heard what you're wanting to do. I don't have a lot of money right now, but I sent you every cent that I had freed up at the moment. I hope this, this helps you. And I'm thinking to myself, helps me? And then he says, I want you to know that I think you're a man of God. And what you're doing, God will bless. And, you know, I spent all of these years playing football. I wrestled. You, you know, I grew up on John Wayne movies and Clint Eastwood movies. But I started bawling like a baby. And it wasn't even the money as it was the message. And God is with you. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. And there are other people that, that can tell you the same kinds of stories. They become, those stories become their personal pile. It's a pile of polished memories that come out of their Jordan crossings throughout all of life. People, as we talked about this morning, that will remember the day and the smells in the hallway and the light coming through the window, what it looked like when the doctor came out into the hallway and said, we can't find the cancer anymore. Uh, Norris Elam was telling me right before the assembly tonight, we've been praying for Lee Fletcher, who's a young man, he's a missionary in Lima, Peru. And he's had all kinds of, of, of illness and fever, and the doctors are not even really sure what he had. And we've been praying for him all over the United States. His, 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 his in-laws live right here in San Antonio. And the doctors came in and, and told the family, they said, you know, all of, we really don't know what's going on, but what we do know is that all of his blood counts are going up. He's getting healthier and healthier and healthier, and we're not really sure all of the supernatural stuff that you're doing. We know you're praying, but it's a lot better than what we're doing medically, so you might as well keep that up. They'll never forget that day as long as they live. You know, that's why the majority of the doctrine about baptism in the New Testament is written to believers. Paul is saying, you know, I know you're struggling with, with all of these things that are happening in your life and, 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 and you're struggling even to, to make sense of what it means to be a Christian, but here's what you need to remember. You need to remember that on the day you were baptized, 
there were some significant things that happened. And he says in Romans 6, verse 3, Don't you know that all of us, another way of saying, I want to remind you that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Remember? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul uses the day of their baptism, the experience of that moment of through faith going into the waters and coming up out of the water, a new creature, to remind the disciples in Rome of who they are and why they do the things that they do. He goes back to the very beginning. Do you remember that day when you confessed your faith and you were immersed? Their baptism served as a boulder of sorts. And I mean, even today, when we struggle with with our faith and that fight gets intense and our faith is beginning to wane, one of the things that we can remind ourselves of is that we've been baptized. We remind ourselves when we are tempted beyond, we think, our ability to overcome, that we have been baptized and that we have been freed up from our enslavement to sin and that we are living out a different kind of story because of that event that has happened in your life. Now, how are we at really remembered? Well, the last thing, and we'll close with this. It's really important that we learn to pass these stories to our children. One of the things that I've noticed about kiddos, especially watching my own, is that we can all be together, we can all be watching the same thing, and they not have a clue as to what it means. I remember uh, Jordan, you know, was being, well, he was born in Brazil, and we come back to the United States, and he's, you know, soccer's the big thing, but he's learning about American football. And, you know, he's, he's this little little dude, and we're sitting around talking, and, and we're talking about, you know, hey, dads and sons, you know, oh, man, we love the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm telling him the stories about, you know, going to the football games and my uncle and his tickets and, you know, the treat of going to see the Cowboys play in the Tom Landry years and Roger Staubach and, and, and all of that good kind of stuff. And, and he goes, well, well Dad, um, uh, are there any teams that you hate? And, I, you know, immediately I think Washington Redskins. And I say, you know, uh, you know, during a period of time, you know, I kind of grew up on the East Coast, and, and, and uh, we moved from Texas to Washington, D.C., and, you know, the Redskin fans, uh, they're not very smart, and they're not very cool, and, they're, you know, I, I was just easy, man, he knew that. And he goes, you know who I hate, Dad? You know what team I hate? And I, I said, tell me. He goes, I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm thinking, I, how does that DNA get passed on like that? It's just a miracle, right? You know, I mean, if there's anybody's got, but he didn't understand what he was saying. I, you know, he, he, when he heard Pittsburgh Steelers, he heard S-T-E-A-L-E-R-S. They're the thieves. They're the Steelers. He did not have a clue that it had something to do with, the, you know, the steel industry and all of that. The, 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 you, know, you know, you can talk about something or hear the same thing, and it still not make sense, right? This morning, uh, Kimball DeMint told this great story. He said, before I learned that there was cancer in the world, I knew about leprosy because I had mentioned Ben-Hur on Wednesday night in our class. And he said, you know, uh, I remember going and seeing that movie when I was a little kid. And there's this scene where the jailer goes in to visit Ben-Hur's mother and sister, and he realizes that they're lepers. He opens the door, and you don't really see the mother and the, and the, the daughter. You just see the face of the jailer. 
And the jailer stands back and he yells leper and, and there's all kinds of fear in his face. And I mean, this is, this is a terrible, terrible thing. And what Kimball heard was leopard. That he walked in there and there were leopards. <laughs> and his mom finally had to explain to him what was going on there. You know, children can be right there and watching the same thing and not get the point. That's, that's why we should take every opportunity to explain to our children, whether they belong to us or not, what they see happening before them. Every Sunday. Dad, let, let me pick on you for just a minute. You know, as, as fathers, we're, we're given a great responsibility and a great privilege, and that is to be the spiritual leaders of our home. And I'm here to tell you, brothers, that there's more to being a spiritual leader in your home than driving the car to church. Every communion service is an opportunity to talk about the cross. It's more than just the Lord's continental breakfast. I've taken a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread. And every baptism is an opportunity to talk about what it means to be baptized. It's more than just getting dunked in the water and everybody clapping. And the same with prayer. To talk about you know, the, the prayers of our shepherds or the prayers of our men, young and old, and the way that they pour their heart out and what it is that they mean when they say, in the name of Jesus, I pray. We talk about this with our children. It's more than just closing our eyes and being quiet and trying not to fall asleep. You know, one of the saddest passages, well, before I talk about that, uh, there's, there's a psalm that I think all of us should, should at some point read and study and commit to our heart. It's Psalm 78, and beginning in verse 3, psalmist says, Things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. Not just the Bible stories, but me telling my children about the day that $220 arrived in the mail that was mailed days before I knew how much money I needed. Or the ways that I was there in, in hallways and in, 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 uh, rooms at the hospital when cures, mysterious cures, were pronounced on people. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then, and here's the point, they would put their trust in God and not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. When's the last time you sat down with one of your kiddos and said, you know, God is, is so great that He actually did this in my life. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. And now I'm telling you, so that you know what kind of God it is we serve. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, just one generation inside the promised land. We read in Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the great hero, the servant of the Lord, 
He died at the age of 110. We drop down to verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook Him and served Baal and the Ashkenaz. A fellow by the name of, of John Westerhoff wrote a book many, many years ago in the 80s. It was one of the first books on Christian education. It was entitled, Will Our Children Have Faith? And one of the opening lines in that book is this. It's a quote from a, a paper in San Francisco. But he says, this is true in every church. We are one generation away from barbarism. Unless we take seriously the instruction the, the, the privilege, the responsibility to share what God has done with the generation that comes after us. Do you know that the reputation of God, the reputation of, of, of Yahweh, the Creator, God of the universe, the Father of us all, that the reputation of, of, of the living God in our community of San Antonio is our responsibility. To talk about. Jeff's going to lead us in a song. And some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there's ways that our church can minister to you tonight, then by all means, don't hesitate to come down to the front and share with these shepherds what's on your heart. And this can be a time of prayer. It can be a time of you connecting to the Lord in ways that you never have or at least in a long time have ever done. Or it may be the night that you become a Christian and your sins are washed away through confession and repentance and baptism and that Holy Spirit comes to live in you as a gift, as a gift from God your Father. If that describes you tonight or if you have questions about it, come down and talk to our shepherds right now as we stand and sing this song.